You are now listening to the Final Whistle Sports Podcast. Here is your host, Blaine Spencer. What is going on, everybody? Welcome into another edition of the Final Whistle Sports Podcast. I know you guys have had an APB out for me. I've been way off the grid. I know it's been almost basically a month since I've last done an episode. I've kind of been mooching on everybody else's podcast. And while I've been in the middle of this move, I have moved from I've kind of moved like all over since April. So California to Idaho. Now I'm in Washington uh, working at a university out here, Eastern Washington University. So we're kind of settled back in. So I am back. The podcast can be building back up again for this summer. And remember, stay tuned for the September 1st date. There's going to be a massive announcement coming out there. But for my guest today, I've got my man who is my basically my golf expert, Joe Ciccoletti from the Fourth Man Up podcast. And if you thought there was an APB out for me, there's been a major APB out for him and his squad because he's been out playing some golf. Joe, how are we doing, my man? How are you? Doing great, Blaine. Doing great. Glad to be back on the podcast because, you know, it's always a good time here on the Final Whistle, baby. It's always, always. And you guys haven't yet. Go check out the fourth man up. Subscribe. Do whatever you got to do for their podcast because, you know, they're on Spotify youtube you name it they've got it instagram you know it but we're gonna jump right in we're gonna talk a lot of nba and a little bit of golf because you know i got my golf expert but let's without further ado as my warriors have done it again ladies and gentlemen though honestly i think we're the cure to covid he's got the golden gate bridge in the background he's repping the bay as a homer from philadelphia But the Warriors have done it again. They have defeated the Boston Celtics in six games, fourth championship in eight years, six finals in eight years. And honestly, I think with the Warriors now winning a championship, I think that the world might go back to normal because I think that was the one thing that happened. We got hurt two years of off the grid and sucking at basketball. Shit hit the fan. And now here we are back to normal. Joseph, break it down to me. Let's start off with the Warriors side of things. Is the dynasty back, or is this just a one-time thing? I, I they're they're in good shape, at least for this fa- upcoming year as well. I mean, they looked incredible. I actually went back on my podcast to October when we did a preview, and I had the Warriors in the finals, and I had the Warriors win in the finals. So hey, tune in back to that one because you know me. I'm locked in, baby. Big fan. I I had a feeling Curry was going to get back on his Curry you know, shit, MVP. I mean, dude's incredible. He is outstanding. Um, But they looked good. Like, they looked dominating all playoffs. What, didn't face an elimination game at all? I mean, that's something to say right there. Um, You know, I, granted, I, I think they went up against more of an, I would think, an easier opponent out of the East than the Boston Celtics, even though the Celtics were coming in hot at the time. I do agree. But the Warriors just... They have the Splash Brothers, and let alone now they added another one, it feels like, in Jordan Poole. And you still got the point god in Draymond Green. So, I mean, good for them, man. I mean, but is the dynasty back? That's going to come to a question two years from now when all them contracts are going to start coming back up. Well, that's that's why I kind of pose this question, because honestly, I'm with you. And this is not as a fan. I actually picked this from the start as an actual expert people go back and look it up (laughs) even though as a fan you know deep down you always want that to happen but I think we're going back to back personally I think it's going to be very interesting to see because I think the dynasty will I don't know if this is a dynasty per se but I think we will win this upcoming year as well minimum we're getting back to the finals because it's that been there done that scenario right and I was on this show the other day. Go talk with Marcus. If you haven't seen it, go check it out. Fueled by Poddex. It does a great job. We did a massive Warriors thing in Celtics NBA Finals. And the one thing that we were trying to figure out is how is the bag going to get settled, right? You have two critical components that are up for a new contract. Andrew Wiggins and Jordan Poole. And this, was my, this is my awful pun that I said on his show. Can't have can't have the Splash Brothers without a pool party. So you got to <laughs> awful pun. Sounds great when it rolls off the tongue, though. And 
<laughs> Joe's already like, I'm going to jump off of this podcast already. Oh, my God. We um, just started. Holy smokes. But if you're – if you actually look at how you're going to handle this, if you're Joe Laka, Bob Myers, you want to pay pool now. You want to pay pool first because you know he's only going to be around the 20 to 25 mil range. And I think that's his – a mark that you want to be able to settle in. And if someone tries to pay him a ridiculous amount of more of that next year, go ahead, throw it away. But you already have Wiggins already at 30 plus million dollars because of the max he's already received from Minnesota in that sign and deal trade. You know, he's going to get his bag, but I think you hold on to not paying both of them right now. You split it. So then you can backload those years for a Kaminga, a Moody. You can allow Curry, Thompson, Draymond to take those cuts then you can pay the younger guys and let that unfold because you have to, I think personally you have to pick one or the other this year, Joe, what do you think on that of being able to on the finance side of what, what I'm thinking here? I mean, I think Jordan Poole is the, uh, the answer here to choose. I mean, the man's only making what three or four mil, I think next year. Um, and he's still much younger than Andrew Wiggins um, as well. So getting him into a, lesser contract now and hope that he just blows up in the next three, four years. And that contract looks great. I mean, we got a kind of a similar situation here in Philadelphia with Tyrese Maxey right now. Maxey had a great year. Um, you know, we're kind of looking ahead down the line when Tobias Harris's contract gets off. It's like, well, are you going to pay this man the max or are you going to try to sign him earlier? So that I think the Warriors are kind of in the same situation right now with Jordan Poole as well. And I agree. I think, you know, Wiggins had a, he looked, good at times um, this year and even sometimes even great. I mean, what one time in the playoffs, I think he had what 18 points and 16 rebounds or something like that. Um, Some absurd number, but we've seen this consistency with Andrew Wiggins to an extent, especially with him and his points. You know, I think he averages anywhere from 15, 18 points a game. And I think that was, he was right around that same, you know, kind of mark with the golden state warriors. Do I think Andrew Wiggins is worth $33 million? Probably not. I don't think most of these guys are worth the money that they're getting, but like, it seems like to me at this point, and one of our, one of my co-hosts, uh, Steve Forney kind of said it best. The, the basketball contracts are only down to like three different contracts. Now it's either you're on your like rookie deal. You have uh, a mid-level exception or you're getting the max. Like there's kind of like, seems like that's all there is now. So it's just tough to figure out and it's fortunate, but that's just what Andrew Wiggins' price tag is right now. Yeah, but – and I agree with you. I think that the three contracts is a very valid point, and it's a really intriguing concept to see how everything's unfolded and transitioned with contracts because now everyone's going after that NBA-like model. Mm-hmm. With how, like, the NFL contracts are now working, same with MLB. Now MLB is the, is the most expensive, but still you have the – that kind of style that you have your rookie deal, a mid-level, and then you get, you're either paying them top dollar basically for their position, even though they might still be a mid-level guy, but they're going to get that money because someone else will do it if it's not going to be their team that they're on at that moment. But the argument for Andrew Wiggins, he was easily the second best player on this team this postseason. He was guarding their sec, the team's best player every time. And the substitutions that Steve Kerr was doing was mimicking who he was guarding. If Luca was coming out, Wiggins was coming out. If Ja was coming out, Wiggins was coming out. I'm trying to remember, he didn't have to guard Jokic for the most part. That was mostly Draymond, but he was still picking up. He was the one that was picking up Jokic when Draymond needed a breather. So he was picking up everybody's best player in every series same with Jason Tatum in the NBA finals mm-hmm. and it was a unique component to see him finally actually buy in right because you everyone thought you could term him I wouldn't coin him a bust right he was still like in Minnesota he wasn't successful but like that team was in shambles when he was there and everything that was going on from an organization sp- spectrum and what Minnesota was looking for him was shots, points, buckets, that couple dunks, just to get fans into the bloody building because they knew they were so flipping bad. Exactly. <laughs> basketball. Yep. 
And you knew the whole Carl Anthony Towns, Jimmy Butler situation between the three of them was a little weird. Butler got shipped and then it was Wiggins next. But I, he's going to get his money. That's without question. The man was an all-star this year, finally truly blossomed. But I think what has truly now evolved is that he's finally hasn't had to be the first option, not even the second option. He wasn't even arguably the third option on this team this year. He was, it reminded me of Harrison Barnes when we were making that, when we were the, won our first title and when we had the best record in basketball year and we lost in the finals to LeBron. Right. So before, before you keep going with this, I do got to ask you this though. All right. So you said Andrew Wiggins bought in, right? That's fine. He buys into the Warriors. Is it him buying in or is it the Steph Curry effect? Because I am all about this and I will say it now with this finals as well happening. Curry has made a lot of people money and a legacy because I can just name a few that I've written down here so far. You were talking Draymond Green and Clay Thompson getting paid slash potential Hall of Famers now. Oh, come on. Clay Thompson's arguably one of the five greatest shooters of all time. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm just saying, like, I'm just naming here, like, potential Hall of Famers. Okay, so now that's two. We're talking now an Andrew Wiggins contract of potentially a max player now just based on this playoff um, playoff run. Um, We are talking Andre Iguodala potentially on the verge of retirement and all of a sudden now has what a finals MVP and what three rings now, four rings, whatever it may be. Um, legacy for him completely turned around. Um, Steve Kerr. What he could go down as the top three head coach ever in the NBA. Yeah. And, and then you just name someone else, the man that's been stealing money from every organization. It feels like Harrison Barnes. I mean, he got oh my paid God. too. The Harrison Barnes has lived off of that Warriors title for his entire freaking career. I mean, it's just, it, I really, really think like the that, effect- and that the that and that the Sacramento Kings just suck as an organization. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> sorry, yeah, that, that's Keegan, if you're watching this episode, your Kings are flipping stupid. They already screwed up in the draft again. <laughs> <laughs> but like the Steph Curry effect from when he finally healed from his ankle injuries when he first started till now he has gotten a lot of people paid and has proven some legacies for multiple people all right that's a great argument right because i was actually watching before before you came on i was watching the draymond green jj reddick collab episode that they just did the other day Mm -hmm. great episode by the way, you guys need to go check that out. Very transparent, open. And it's just showcased how Draymond was illustrating how Steph Curry has been the engine the entire time for this Warriors team. Yeah, he took the back seat for when Kevin came Kevin came over after we they lost. And and it was really eye-opening to me to how he put this is that. Kevin was the guy down the stretch because Draymond thought that Steph was still trying to learn that role. Hmm. And he hadn't gotten to that point of where, yo, I can just go get a bucket whenever I want. He hadn't figured that out yet. Right. He hadn't bulked up enough physically if he wanted to go to the rim or just because of how the offense flowed that it was running through, it was mimicked around him, but it wasn't going based off of, if they needed to go get a bucket, stif- Steph, iso ball and go get a bucket. And that's what where Kevin came in and was a true value in how he took the back seat. And now this past championship really has been his team. And then last year with how he went bonkers, could have easily been the MVP just to get them into the play-in. So I think you're right. There is that valid argument that the Steph Curry effect is definitely there. But I think now with how the Warriors system also runs around him, that they're the most unique offense in basketball. They never stop moving. That also illustrates the skills of Draymond's passing, Clay's shooting, Steph's shooting. And now with Wiggins actually becoming a 35% three-point shooter, his ability to 
stretch the floor a little bit. And then when he wants to go up and dunk on somebody, he will go up and dunk on somebody with his Absolutely. crazy athleticism. What, Absolutely. what he yeah. was known for coming out of college. Oh, yeah. I mean, I loved Wiggins coming out of college. Like, I really thought, like, I got into the hype behind, like, oh, my God, this guy's going to be the next LeBron. Like, that's what I was behind that hype. With I agree. Him he had that written all over him. Yep. But he doesn't have the switch, right? That alpha mm-hmm. mentality. And I think that's why people have coined him as a second or third guy, not an alpha dog. I agree. I agree. Mentality. But before we wrap up with the Curry talk, I, I do want to say this, too. And I, I think a lot of people will agree on this. I mean, Steph Curry, to me, is a generational type of player. And he oh, has changed the game completely. And I only think there is a handful of players that have done that in the NBA. Um, you know, going from Curry, um, AI, Magic Johnson, um, LeBron, of course. I mean, even like in our time, when we grew up in the 90s, for instance, I mean, you're at school, you roll up a piece of paper, you shoot at the trash can. What are you saying? You're saying Kobe. Like, that's another generational player that changed the game. And for me, especially now, after this, you know, fourth final now, little kids growing up now, you know, in the 2010 era and now 2020, potentially will be saying Steph Curry from three and shooting from the parking lot just because of what he's done. Exactly. So, all right, we kind of jumped off track, but I want to, before we move on to the Celtics angle of this, there's this, there's been this question and I fucking hate it because I think there's no correct answer here, but I just want to get your take on it because I've kind of gotten some backlash as a Warriors guy and I didn't put Steph in my top 10 all time. Would you put him in a top 10 of all time? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah, we just as soon as he won the finals, I texted all my friends and said, "Where do you have him at? Top ten? And they go, "Honestly, probably seventy-five percent of them said, "Yeah, top ten. And I said, "Top seven." I have, and they go, a, I have him at eleven or twelve. I think that's more because of me holding back as a fan that I didn't want to push fair enough. Up, but I have him on the outside. Fair enough. No, I, I think he's top ten. I, I, I mean, you got four finals. Now you have a finals MVP, so no one can really say anything about that. And like I said a generational talent player. And I, there's a handful. I said, there is a handful Then he needs to be in the top 10. If there's a handful. Yeah. I, there, there's no wrong answer. I think here you, you're really pulling hairs when it comes to the top 15. Once you get within the top 15 players of all time, you're yin and then yang and who's in, who's out, stuff like that. But let's jump to the other side, which is the Boston Celtics here for a little bit. They were up one Oh, they went into Dub Nation, got the only road win in out of any team this postseason going into the Chase Center. Warriors were undefeated at Chase Center other than this game one. Then they got game two. Warriors got a little bit more physical. Draymond said he was going to be an a-hole. He was an absolute a-hole in the game two. Game three, Celtics held their own. The place was rocking at TD Garden. And then it felt like they got worse and worse each game after game three. And it felt like that game three, fourth quarter, when they were up big or up big, I think it was the third quarter. They were up big. The Warriors made a run some point other than that mid third or early fourth quarter. And you saw that the Warriors kind of saw that something clicked for them offensively and defensively. Celtics still hung on to win. And then, Steph goes crazy in game four. Then after that, my argument was this entire playoffs for the Celtics. Once they lost back-to-back games, they were done because they hadn't lost back-to-back games. It was almost unheard of since like when they hit that, when they got really clicking as a team in January, right? When they were arguably the second best team in basketball from January on. Where does the blame go? Jason Tatum had the most turnovers in the playoffs this year. And Marcus Smart, foul trouble. Al Horford, yin and yang of a, of a big man. I could make the argument for me that Robert Williams was their best player when he was available, but his issue was that he wasn't available in this postseason very much. Mm-hmm. Who do you give the blame to, Joe? 
it, it's it's tough to put it on one player. Okay. Um, but I do want before well, maybe I be one player. Come on. Just <laughs> but I I do want to go back. You make a good point about game three. I even said I think game four, the end of the third quarter, you're evened up in the TD up two to one, and all of a sudden you lose that fourth quarter by ten plus points and lose that game, and the momentum switched right there. Personally, I think, in my opinion, once you lose the first fourth quarter that the Warriors actually beat the Celtics in the entire series, the Celtics Mm. have been dominating the fourth quarter up until that and actually flipped in game four Celtics won the third quarter lost the fourth quarter. Yes. Yeah, because it was almost dead even going into the fourth Warriors took it up 10, um, if I'm not mistaken, and then won by 10 in the end. And for me, that was the change because the Celtics, you're up 2-1. You're at home for game four. All the momentum is technically on your side. And if you win, you're going to Golden State up 3-1. to one. You damn well know, okay, this game five, we can kind of ball out. But their, their back is at the wall now. And uh, I, I really think that was the momentum switcher. Because then you're down to three games. And you're, you're playing against essentially rookies in the finals versus guys that have been here now at four times um it it, like i said it's tough to place the blame on a certain person because they're all rookies to the finals and i know like these guys have pressure on them and and they have dealt with pressure to the max they've been in championship games before um they've been in playoffs runs like this but like you know as well as i the finals is a different type of ball game playoffs is a different type of ball game and i personally think like I said earlier, I think they had a little bit more of an easier cakewalk to the finals, in my opinion. I don't want to get too much into that because I know I'm going to hear a lot of heat from that. But I personally think that. Um, but if I had to say to turn around, like I said, like, I, honestly, when Robert Williams was out, that's what kind of killed him. When he was missing as the center role, you know, a lot of guys had to shift and go into different positions that they probably weren't expected to be at or be in. Um, so it's more of just an injury factor of him being, you know, limited would be Robert Williams. But I mean, if you kind of, like, if you look at the box score, even to just take Jason Tatum, like, yeah, his turnovers killed him, but the man still scored what 20, 25 points every night. Like he still got his buckets, but it did, he didn't show up Joe in the fourth quarter yeah. He was anemic in the fourth quarter. Yeah. I mean, and I mean, there's this argument. I just want to get the, get your take on this. That, if this is actually hoopla or like legit, because I think it's total BS in my opinion that like Wiggins and Tatum had the same trainer for a while. And everyone was like, Wiggins knows where he's going every time he gets the ball. <laughs> what do you think on that? <laughs> I, I mean, he probably has an idea. Like, you know, he's seen the moves before, but let's be honest, like all these NBA players, you know, they probably have seen almost every move in the game. It's just like, oh, can you be prepared for it? I mean, yeah, he might have a little bit more of an advantage than the guy down the street. But, you know, in the end, if you're going to go get yourself a bucket and you're going to be a superstar at the top level, you're going to get yourself a bucket. Yeah, very well. Well, I'm going to blame people because I'm going to blame Tatum and Brown. Why? Because you're the two stars on the team. You have made it very clear that you got in this postseason or even in this regular, especially in this postseason, that you guys can't get it right together. I, it was very rare in this postseason to see both of them have a good game. It was either one played great and one was absolute garbage. Then it was another night that it would flip. Brown would be great. Tatum was garbage. They could never both get on the same page. And there was this argument this year when they were especially really bad to start. Do they break those two up? And I know they won't break it up now because they reached the NBA finals, right? But those, there were some glaring signs that they could not figure out who wanted the ball when, who was going to take the shot because they were both very passive. Brown was clearly the better player in this in the NBA Finals out of the two. But also another part, Jason Tatum 
being a playmaker and that is not his calling card. The Celtics really need to go get themselves a true point guard this offseason if they want to have another chance of getting back to the finals. But you can't be leading the league in turnovers, man, in the playoffs. You can't. You can't do it. You're the best player on your respective team. That just cannot happen. And I get it. Marcus Smart's not a point guard either, but his turnovers were critical as well. They were just making they were making the mistakes of a team that hadn't been there before and because they hadn't been there before, right? They looked like that. And it wasn't like an issue that had been just in the in the NBA finals. The entire playoffs in the final five minutes of the fourth quarter, they were the worst team that made the playoffs in crunch time. Bro, they shouldn't have been there. They shouldn't have been there. If Chris Middleton was healthy, thank you. Here we go. All right, we're gonna open up Panera, put Pandora's box. We might as well go for it. Chris Middleton get doesn't get hurt. The Bucks. Bucks If I had a sign right now, I would have rolled it up. Chris Middleton, where's your little face? No, Milwaukee's in the NBA Finals. Honestly, Jimmy Butler should have hit that shot. Let's be real. Time out. Time out. Time out of what? Time out. I wouldn't say Milwaukee was the number one if Chris Middleton's healthy because they definitely are there. They're in the Eastern Conference Finals. But I still come back to, and this might be a little bit of a homer pick, if Joel Embiid doesn't get hurt, if Joel Embiid does not get hurt, we are in a different ballgame. Incorporate your bloody Sixers into the show, and you absolute total bum. If if Joel Embiid does not get hurt. James Harden is an absolute scrub for how much you are paying him. I'm telling you what. I can't wait till the option takes $48 million. Good. Give it to him. Because guess what? He's going to have a great season next year. Oh, my God. He's going to come in out of shape. Let's be honest. All right. All right. Let's see. Let's see. You want to put a bet down? (laughs) A little friendly bet. I think the Sixers finish better than the Golden State Warriors next year. That's fine because we don't care about the damn regular season. No, no, no. I'm not talking regular season. I'm talking playoffs. You think you're going to get farther than us? I think so. 76 We're going to win the championship, so there is no way to get further than us. All right. Here, put the hand there. (laughs) Friendly wager. Friendly wager. Love it to hear it. Love to hear it. I can't wait to rub it in your face the next time when the Sixers don't even make the playoffs. (laughs) Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Okay. We've gotten off of the rails in the Final Whistle Sports Podcast. Nothing new here. Um. Let's let's go to the situation of why I really brought you on this show, right? <laughs> because honestly, I we were we've been chatting about it this week, and honestly, I was fascinated by how what your opinion was on it. The lovely live golf is it series tour? I don't even know what the hell we call it. <laughs> live tour, baby. It's the live, live tour. Live golf so. tour. Uh, funded by the Saudi Arabian Saudi Arabians. And it's ran by Greg Norman. Honestly, it's a bit unique. You can see the yin and the yang of why people like it. People hate it. But the PGA Tour has basically said, nope, we're monopolizing the crap out of this golf. Mm -hmm. We are banning you guys from the PGA Tour. The DP World Tour is also the European Tour. If you guys don't know your golf slang and golf terminology. They have also now released fines for those players that are associated with the European tour, but they only suspended the players for the events that the PGA tour is co-sanctioning with them. So it's kind of unique to see how one tour is on a little bit on the middle one. And then the, while the PGA tour is on the way, just full indefinite ban. Is this good for the game of golf? Joe, what is your reaction to how this is unfolding? Before we get into that, I, I mean, we might have to give a little more specifics out there to the uh, the listeners. Um, Live versus PGA is kind of what we've been all kind of calling it. A couple players that kind of did switch over, um, big name players, big name. Uh, Brooks Kepka, Brian, uh, or not, excuse me, not Brian, Bryson DeChambeau, Patrick Reed, uh, Dustin Johnson, Paparez, just to name a couple um, there. Um some of the key differences besides money, before we get into that, um, 
the live plays only three rounds uh, instead of besides, four rounds. Besides their finale, I think their finale is going to be seven to two. It looked like on their website. Okay. Okay. Um, most of the time, the uh, players there's only forty eight players compared to nearly a hundred plus for PGA events. Um, it's a shotgun start compared to a, a standard start with the PGA. So that's one of the players really kind of like that. I've been seeing at least the ones that switched over. Um, there is like a team play aspect to it. Um, so I'm not too familiar. Yeah. There, I'm not too familiar with it, um, but there is some sort of team play. And then, um, and then obviously money. Um, these guys get a contract up front, essentially paid money up front especially for these big name guys, Brooks and Dustin Johnson. Um, but also the purses are higher as well um, within the events. Um, you know, like it could be, I think what in London, uh, the most recent one was about two weeks ago. Now, I think the purse was near 20, 20 mil, I think. Charles Schwartz um, walked away with 4.75 because yep. the individual and his team won the team event. Correct. Yeah. So, Man, it, uh, man it's one not more than he does in a major. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not only you're getting paid up front, but you also are slightly based. Uh, you get paid big time for your performance as well. Um, you know, at first, when I first heard all this and at least for myself, and I don't know about you, whenever anybody gets paid, I'm like, good for you. You're getting paid. You know, you're getting one, you know, you're saving yourself, you know, setting yourself up for life and probably generations. Let's be honest here. And yeah. that's how I was. I was like, good for them. They're getting paid. You know, they're setting themselves up for years and years. But as I like kind of thought and heard a little bit more of the other side and why the PGA was so frustrated. And it's not just because of like legacy purposes. I, I do understand that. It also comes down to this is we also had one of the most extreme uh, events in USA history, uh, what, 21 years ago, 22 years ago. Um, I don't like bringing politics into things, but I do right, understand Joe, that before side. Before you finish your political thought, the U.S. government still works with Saudi Arabia. Yeah. So what, yeah. What, why is there an issue on a more personal front when the federal governments are still doing it? Because the government hides behind everything and people only see so much. But when this gets presented that, oh, it's the Saudis and they're doing it, people are going to jump right for it. Um, that's what I'm fully think behind of all this. Um, you know, and like I said, I see both sides. But to tell you the truth, PGA is going to need to do something to keep their players. They they did do something. Did you? I don't know if you saw that. What they released was it yesterday that they released that they're going to do some more events. They changed how they're going to do. The European Tour is now going to give the top ten players on the European Tour list that don't have PGA cards are going to get PGA cards. They're now going to do a direct way for PGA Tour cards through Q School because I know they eliminated that. They're going back to a calendar schedule. This is like a 2024, I think, is what the, they're looking at. But I think they're trying. I personally feel I'm actually – I don't get me wrong. I watched all three days of the Live Golf on YouTube. I, it was intriguing. It was something different from a fan perspective. I mean, is it – Nothing like, don't get me wrong. A major tournament for the golf is always going to be where my eyes go to first and those big PGA tour events, but this easily supersedes any of those smaller events that a lot of teams try to figure out how, yes, their issue is they don't get world golf ranking points and they don't have a TV partnership that. They're never going to be a true competitor, in my opinion, until they get those down, right? I, I agree. And, and, but, like, I, I mean, you could turn it around and fight it the other way with Live, And, you know, it is free on YouTube, okay? And you can watch the entire round from when these guys tee off till the end right. on YouTube for free. And, unfortunately, I, I mean, I'm kind of been one component of it for the last especially three to five years now. I watch YouTube, I think, more than I watch TV. 
And that's just what the younger generation, younger generation is really getting into is this, they, you know, you sit down and eat dinner, let's say, or you sit down and eat lunch. Like, I'm not going to go turn on the TV and turn on six ABC. I'm going to just sit here and throw on YouTube, put on a couple videos and watch it. That's what I think the live is trying to direct more to this younger generation and where the PGA has been trying to do that for years for the last, what, 15, 20 years now. And like, they just haven't got there and live boom comes out just like this goes on YouTube, hits them. Great. Let alone. I, like I said earlier, you can watch them from when they tee off until they hit the 18th I hole think and end. I the shorter day is going to really win over the the regu- the not just like the true golf fan but the normal Absolutely. sport fan. But they but don't even- have to watch for 12 hours so they can watch. It's only five and a half hour day. Yeah. I, I agree. I, I definitely agree. But I think the other issue is this. When it comes to Saturday and Sundays on these little rounds, uh, as we call it, it's not really the little rounds, I, more the regular season rounds. Um, they only come on CBS from, what, 2.30, 2 o'clock till 6? So you already missed the first six holes of most of the leaders Correct, at that point. because you're jumping from one TV platform to the other. Mostly. Exactly. And that's another thing that kind of gets annoying. It's, I mean, granted to the average golfer, um, or the average watcher of golf, they might be okay with that. But like, you know, kind of like myself, I enjoy watching them from hole one to 18 at times. Um, so, you know, I, I think Liv is really going down a good path, to tell you the truth, to try to hit the younger generation. And you bring up how the PGA was trying to get cars for the younger guys. But let's be honest, if you get accepted into even just one of this li- one of these live events and you miss the cut, you, or you don't, and actually, excuse me, they don't have a cut. So even if you just come in last place, you still make one hundred twenty thousand dollars. Like, and you- that's been the issue with the PGA Tour is that they don't look out for the little guy in their mm-hmm. in their tour. Exactly, it's, all, it's been it's extremely top heavy, and I think that's what the live golf is trying to do with these now signing bonuses, making it almost like a free agency type deal that if you can get into one tournament, you're good for mm-hmm. are you for those, some middle level guys, you're good for half the year, right? Depending on cost of living, stuff like that. You're good. Absolutely. I agree. And I, I, I like the initial contracts. I really do. I, I mean, I think a hundred million dollars is too much. I mean, that's just a lot of money, but I also, you know, like I also think though, when you play in your tournament, you should be making what your performance is, though. Like if you miss the cut, I do understand. Like if you miss the cut, like you shouldn't really be making much. You gotta also factor in how much you're shelling in just to get into said tournament on a qualifier. Absolutely, yeah. No, I agree. Like, I mean, do you walk out of there with zero money? Yeah, probably not. But like. Can you at least just cover the travel expenses? Like, honestly, what, 10, 15, 20 grand max, let's say? I mean, I know, I'm, I'm, I don't know numbers. I'm kind of guessing there. But, like, I think they PGA could do that to guys. Oh, easily. So, but I'm honestly, the one thing that I have been, that I was really fascinated by with the Live Golf was that I think they do need some a lot of announcer help. I mean, I'm going to be completely honest. The commentary was a really rough, but it's also their first event and stuff like that. Yeah. But if I had the opportunity, I would be in Pumpkin Ridge this weekend if I had the chance. I'm going to be honest. I think that I'm in the Washington area. I'm not, I'm going to go see family instead. But like, I think that'd be, and the tickets aren't overly expensive from what I had looked like online, right? It's not like, it's about the same of a regular tour event, which is, but it's more selective. Sure. It's not like massive crowds, right? But you're still having that feeling. And you can, you don't have, if you want, you can jump from hole to hole. You can stay on the one hole. Everybody's going to roll through you on a different capacity of how where their rounds are at, right? Mm-hmm. So, which I think is kind of cool kind of neat honestly if you're sitting on like hole six you're like great i'm only gonna this might be a crap this is gonna be a tough par four no one's everyone's just gonna be laying trying to make par here but like on a sunday that could be their 16th or 17th hole and this caught this is a massive hole 
in regards to maybe not the individual event based on how they do tee times, it looks like so far, but for the team event, their whole team could still be in play depending on how their round works. And I think that's the other component. It keeps every player still engaged, even if they have a crappy first day, right? Mm-hmm. Because those first two rounds based off of the team dynamic of four, I looked this up just now as we've been talking, top two scores for the day get counted. It's not your overall total. It's just your round for the day. Then day three, it's the top three scores. So you're still involved in that team dynamic of trying to work your team up if you're trying to be in that hunt for a top three finish on the Mm -hmm. team. Oh, yeah. So I think that's that is one thing that I and plus I I love team golf. I love call it the, that aspect of it with like Ryder Cup, President's Cup, um, college. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, golf golf has always been more of an individual based sport, which um, but, is unique when you see the team dynamic. Exactly. Yeah, I agree entirely. And I mean, the Ryder Cup's a whole different feel, um, especially when you have a whole nation behind you as well. But um, real quick, I just wanted to point back to you. I mean we keep bringing up the money, you know, how much money they're making and this, that, and the other thing. And I think you can speak this to any type of sport. Regular season is where you make your money and the playoffs is where you make your legacy. And that being the majors. So as long as these guys can play in the majors, who gives a crap then about these regular season events? They don't care. No, not at all. Do you think they care about FedEx cup where you win $10 million when they're getting a hundred million dollars straight up? No, because no, now they're making because now every player on the live golf tour is arguably making the amount of money that they would make just being in the top 30 of the FedEx Cup rankings and playing uh, eighth of the event. How many events does the PGA Tour have like 40 to 50 events, mm-hmm. something like that? They're arguably playing. A, they're playing a fifth of that and still making the same amount of money. Yep. Yep. They're thinking. Of, yes. It is the bottom line is a huge part of this transition, but they are also factoring in how they want to set themselves up for the majors. You know what I mean? So, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think that's a dynamic. But so I think it's good for the game. I think it kind of gives a little more transparency. What's your final take on that? Good or bad for the game? I mean, I think it's good for the game. Like, I, I really do. Um, I think it's great for the golfers. Um, of, of course, they're getting their money. They're getting paid. Um, even the bottom guys are even still getting paid and willing to walk out and even go to these different places all over the world to play. Um, I think it's a really good choice. And as long as they can still play in the majors, um, I mean, I could see this continuing. But the PGA is going to need to change things. Um and it's good. They're going to need to change it fast because if not, they're going to lose more and more, you know, as the hours tick on. Yeah. All right, Joe, before we wrap up for tonight, there was this one topic that we kind of were texting over, which I thought was kind of unique is that because of how live golf is kind of taking over this realm of free agency and how everyone's going after that NBA model, like how we were talking about earlier, right? Does do any more of these individualized sports have potentially take on this model? Because the one thing that we were talking about, especially through text, was tennis, right? Because they're like the other major individualized sport, kind of only under one tour. That if there was a secondary tour that was doing something, that it could potentially work. But we were also making the argument that USTA is way more global than what the PGA tour was. So I just want to see what, what's your thought on that? I mean, let's be honest, money talks, money's always going to talk. It's always going to pull some of the best out here. I mean, in the end, you know, and I understand they're athletes. So we think of them more as athletes, but put them in your position. If you were, if you got a hundred million dollars, only play something or say work for the next 10 years, be like, okay, I'll play for the next 10 years and I could just retire. I'm good. I don't have to do any of this anymore. Um, But to get back to the individual stuff, I mean, I don't know. I mean, PGA is more way more focused just in America. Like most of their tournaments take place in America. There's only a few in like Mexico and a few in Canada. And then of course you have the majors. So that's different. But when it comes to tennis, I, 
I'm and not snowboarding, skiing. They're more of a global sport in their respect. Yes. It's not like that issue of being very. Correct. Like, yes. Like I even think it, you even try like a team sport and it's, it's, they've tried this already. Like think about the NFL, right? How many leagues have started trying to be just like the NFL and it eventually just collapses. Granted, I don't think they had the money that the Saudis are backing to live on. Yeah. But also the NFL's contracts are unbelievable now. So like even guys that are kind of almost bench guys are still getting paid big time. Um, so team wise, I just don't think it's going to happen. Individual, I guess, but like I would really have to think about like individual sports. Um that are just mainly in America and have a main sport of just America and then gets branched out. But like you said, it's just a global aspect now with most of these other sports. Yeah. And that's what I think I've came to the consensus over the last couple of days is that this is unique because even though the live golf tour is primarily focused in America, they have three or four global events right out of their eight. Yeah. I think it's five. Is it five in America and then three international? Is it four and four? I don't remember exactly what it was, but you still have that realm of a major tournament outside of the United States. Unlike the PGA tour, it's more like the Canadian open and that's about it. Mm -hmm. Like no offense to the Corrales championship or whatever's in the Bahamas and stuff like that. Or what, what's the tournament that you have that curse for? I don't remember what it's called. Uh, Puerto Rico Open. Uh, Puerto Rico yeah, the, Open curse. Puerto Rico Open, yeah. That's US-based still too, but. I mean, even like the WGC, like they play them. Yeah, and it's in China, the HSBC one, exactly. Yeah, so like they play a little bit, of, like all over a little bit. but like, like started I said, to grow a little bit more. Yes, but most of their tournaments, I mean, out of what, the 50 weeks that they play, I mean, probably – 30 plus of them are in America. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then in those in these other individual sports, we're talking snowboarding, skiing, um, tennis. The US is a very small portion of those tours. They're more yes, but, already in Europe, Asia, etc. And the US is just and a component of that. I mean, I even think though, like snowboarding, skiing, we're just naming a couple. I mean, even like I guess track, you could even say too. Track how 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 often are they doing that sport? And on top of it, how much are they pulling in? Right. You got to think about golf in America, right? It's big. Like people may not think of it. Like, of course, NFL, basketball, hockey. Um, what other sport? Oh, baseball. Excuse me. They're the big four. I mean, in America, of course. And then soccer's, you know, kind of there. But like golf's pretty close to that i'm probably missing maybe another sport dude don't get me wrong don't call me out people i'm sorry but golf's pretty close to that in america so when you bring up this like other aspects and tennis is too but like the amount that golf pulls in from america and now being able to pull away and go elsewhere it really starts affecting the golf community yeah, absolutely. Well, I think it's it's a really interesting dynamic of how this is all unfolding. I don't think the Saudis are going to run out of money anytime soon. So I think Live Golf is here to stay for a little while. I think the next thing to really look at is if they get the world golf ranking points approved, that if that happens, you're going to see a lot of people jet over because it doesn't matter then at that point about how to get into the majors at all. So I think that's the next big thing that you, we need to be on the lookout, especially in the golf world. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That and Tiger Woods to come back healthy. Oh, Tiger. Wait, what, what is he called? Speaking of our guy, we love our guy, Tiger Woods. Um, what do you think? What do you think? He, uh, he's going to play in Ireland, right? Two weeks before the Open. That's what his goal is. I think he said that's Irish Open, I think. I think it's all um, a picture of him last week. He was at uh, on the sidelines of a soccer game and he was full practice in his swing. So oh. he's back. He's ready oh. to go, dude. He's, yo, the old course. He's, yo, lock it in a top 10. He's going to be right there. Top 10. Holy crap. I think he's, yo, that's his spot, man. 
He does not fail at St. Andrews, and St. Andrews doesn't fail him. We'll see, man. As long as his putting stays all right and he can stay at least able to walk I think that's that actually going to help him, that he's going to be on slower greens. Maybe. Maybe. We'll see, man. It, it'll be interesting. It will be interesting. And it's not that camera. hard of a walk like the other two. Well, yeah. I mean, Augusta's incredible. Um, and he knew he had no shot at the um, the U.S. Open, so I don't blame him. I don't blame well, him he, at all. I don't think his body's even recovered from uh southern hills no no fortunately and i think not, that was so. like the gauge is what at southern hills was like could he really push himself to be i think he figured out like at least he needs like a six-week break and that's the issue with his the majors now is that it's going to be that they're all around within four to five weeks apart yeah yeah so we'll see i mean he's gonna you know he'll play and he'll always play in the masters i don't think that's ever going to change um, I think the U.S. Open, we're going to see less and less of him because of how difficult the conditions are. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more there. Couldn't agree more. All right, Joe, I appreciate you ha- coming on the final whistle in my little bit of a return to the final whistle sports podcast. Why don't you plug your stuff to where we can check out the fourth man up? Absolutely. Yeah, we uh fourth man up. Check us out on uh, Instagram. Uh, I think we're on Twitter, too, as well. Uh, we're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Google Play, I think, too, as well. But right now we're taking a little break. Um, we will be back probably the uh, sometime in August or September before football season starts and we'll get right back into it. Um, so we will be back. So make sure you stay tuned um, and make sure you check out Blaine stuff here on the final whistle, of course. Always, man. Always a pleasure having you on. Hope to have you on again soon, my man. All right. You too, brother. All right. Take it easy. All right. All right, everybody. This was another edition of the Final Whistle Sports Podcast. I have now figured out my scheduling with how this podcast is going to work. So be ready and be on the lookout for more stuff as I finally settled in with my move. Thanks for always tuning in. And, you know, always hit that subscribe button. Hit that like. Leave a review. You know it. We've got it. I always love a critique if you want to critique that as well. So as always, enjoy your week, everybody. This is Blaine Spencer from the Final Whistle signing off.